0: Hey, welcome to Space Gab. This is Mike Coletta. It's the 24th of March, 2021. SpaceGab can be heard at www.spacegabpodcast.com and many of podcast applications including Spotify, Anchor FM, Google, and Apple Podcasts, plus more. Well, I guess the media folks got to look behind the scenes inside the vehicle assembly building. Checking out the SLS that's being stacked. Uh, report says that with the boosters stacked and the green run complete, and that green run did happen a few days ago, completed a green run uh, static fire test of all the rocket uh, engines, rocket motors. And I guess it was successful. Everybody is giving some thumbs up on things that I've seen anyway in the media and social media. It says that with the green run complete ahead, ahead Artemis 1, all we need is the core stage to ship to KSC from Stennis and we'll have ourselves our rocket. And then on social media, many of the people that uh, were there uh, have, during the media event uh, looking at the SLS, they shared a lot of photos, really good photos of the facilities and the staging and everything that's going on there with the, uh, the rocket uh, soon to be complete. Wow, here we go. Artemis-1 on the fast lane. BlueStack wins $280 million Space Force contract to expand Space Data Catalog. It says the Unified Data Library is a joint initiative of the Air Force Research Laboratory and the Space Force's Space and Missile Sensor. BlueStack announced March 23rd it has received a $280 million contract from the US Space Force to expand an existing library of space objects that integrates data from commercial and government sources. The project known as Unified Data Library or UDL started in 2018 when BlueStack, a startup based in Colorado Springs, Colorado, received a Air Force small business innovation research contract to develop the concept the initial goal of the UDl was to provide a single location for data and to help simplify data rights management you know the, uh, the this the air Forces and the, the space um, catalog uh, you know that's the combination of where everything is in space you know when they, they you see objects up there most likely it's a cataloged uh, object in this database, in this catalog, and they want to do something to expand that and uh, get better data rights and things like this. Because, you know, there's, there's commercial and government. They both – there's different places you can get TLEs at when you're looking to track an object and all that and, you know, I think they're trying to bring this together, the, the Space Force. It's one of the things I think the Space Force is going to try to do is bring all these data together to gather and get uh, get it, get it uh, you know, in one place where people can go to and be assured that the data is complete and accurate. So that's, I imagine, that's what they're probably doing with this uh innovated uh, contract. So we'll just have to wait and see. But, you know, I remember when I used to work the uh, the GIADS project way back when, I would go out to the GIAD sites, and they would, you know, they would get the uh, data, uh, a library of objects that they were supposed to track that evening with their their three telescopes. And there's a lot of other uh, radar systems and different things that provide this data as they're tracking. It's just not one source. You've got a lot of different uh, sources tracking uh, orbiting objects, and there's a lot more objects (laughs) up there right now. That are orbiting that need to be tracked with all these launches that are happening with the, the Starlink system going up and these satellites that are colliding and, and breaking apart. All those, all those objects. When something becomes space debris, it has to be tracked if it's over a certain uh, size uh, limit. So this is one item that we're going to be keeping an eye on and seeing if they're successful with this. Hey, this, this, um, company's in Colorado Springs. I'll be. Okay. Okay, I guess Lockheed Martin has signed an agreement with Omnispace to share business and technical information on the deployment of 5g networking technology in space. so you, you know this is another um, a lot of startups are starting with this kind of technology and 5g in space. Uh, I talked about it a, a number of podcasts ago, and they were talking about there was one article i was I was mentioning and, and shared with you about um, if they put some kind of a 4G network on the moon, if that would have actually hamper uh, radio telescopes here on Earth. And now they're talking about, you know, placing 5G networking in space also. So we've gone from 4G in space, now we're talking about 5G in space. But this is the future. This is going to be the future. So I guess Lockheed Martin signed an agreement with OmniSpace, and um, you're going to see more and more of these companies, you know, because it's going to be competition is going to be pr- pretty aggressive in the near future for uh, things like this. Networking in space, you know, what becomes, uh, now Now I'm, you know, the networking in space could also be, uh, I guess, satellite to satellite and, and satellite to space station, but it also could be uh, satellite to ground. And that's what a lot of these satellites are doing now, being launched up there. There's a lot of um, Internet activity and Internet connectivity with the ground, with their space uh, station systems on the ground. And uh, this is just another one, up and comer, so I'm sure you're going to hear a lot more about uh, additional 5G networking companies uh, getting on the bandwagon, especially now that they've got uh, quite a few launch providers that uh, will, you know, ride share, you can ride share. More and more company are getting, companies are getting into the launch business with smaller rockets and and some of these satellites may be uh, of, of a size limit that would allow them to ride share with a lot of other satellites. Now, the uh, you can see all these articles I'm talking about on my Twitter feed, which would be twittercom podcast. And I'm looking at the pictures of these satellites in this in this uh, story here, and they're, they look like they're pretty good-sized satellites. Now, that doesn't uh, mean that these are the finished products. It's probably just uh, an artist rendering of of the, you know for the story itself. But I'm, I'm guessing some of these, as, as technology improves, these satellites will probably be a lot smaller and smaller with a lot more power capability, uh, additional power capability with reduced size. We'll just have to wait and see. Here's another story about Mars and that has captured the interest of many news organizations. They've been sharing this, uh, story a lot and I'm guessing that, you know, NASA has put out a press release of some type. And so the news organizations are covering this a lot more than usual. And it's NASA Ingenuity Mars Helicopter Prepares for First Flight. Now, the article itself could be seen on my Twitter feed. But it says NASA is targeting no earlier than April 8th for the Ingenuity Mars Helicopter to make the first attempt at powered, controlled flight of an aircraft on another planet before the four-pound Rotocraft can attempt its first flight, however, both it and its team must meet a series of daunting milestones. Ingenuity remains attached to the belly of NASA's Perseverance rover, and that touched down on Mars on February 18th. On March 30, 21st, the rover deployed the guitar case-shaped graphite composite debris shield that protected Ingenuity during landing the rover currently is in transit to the airfield where ingenuity will attempt to fly once deployed ingenuity will have 30 martian days or sols 31 earth days con- to, to conduct its test flight campaign and the reason i tell you about this article being on the on the twitter feed is because if you want to read more about what it will take to get Ingenuity, the Mars helicopter, off the ground, off the Martian surface. This, they're tasted a daunting task, oh my goodness, it is a daunting task. I was reading through this article. It's very detailed. And every day that they're preparing for this first flight, something has to happen. And it has to happen correctly. Otherwise, the little helicopter might not make its first flight or any flight. So if you want to check it out. If you're really into Mars, and especially this first that will occur on any planet besides Earth, check out the article about Mars Ingenuity, the little Mars helicopter, because it's a very interesting article, and it's very detailed. I mean, it's real detailed, and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, I did, and it just talks about all the things. Now, if you thought the seven, what is it, seven minutes of terror they were talking about when Perseverance went to the surface... Everything was supposed to go go right. This, it, this is maybe not as much terror, but there's a lot lot that has to happen. A lot that has to happen exactly like it should happen, or something might not work right. So go check out that article about uh, Mars uh, Ingenuity, the helicopter, on my Twitter feed, twitter.com slash spacegabpodcast. Well, this is not really space-related, but it is kind of space-related. Anyway, uh, a lot of the articles today were sh- telling that uh, North Korea conducted its first missile test under the Biden administration. And a lot of the articles were saying, "Hey, you know, North Korea is kind of like, it's almost like a challenge to President Biden by doing this. Uh, and they just keep on going. I know uh, the previous administration had a little bit more, you know, contact with uh the North Korean, uh, president, but, uh, this is North Korea kind of likes, like, hey, look what, look what we can do. <laughs> so I guess we're going to have to watch to see what happens with this. Now, you know, their, their, um, their missile tests are, you know, supposedly, they say they're one thing, like for space related for satellites and this and that. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know, but this, there was no indication that there was any, Orbit, orbital craft that uh, was deployed with this missile test, just that it was some kind of a test, I don't know, flexing their muscles, I guess what they're doing. Well, I guess there's a company called Leaf Space, and it says they see a clear appetite among U.S. satellite and launch vehicle operators to simplify, outsource, and maximize the value from ground services. So what they've done is they've opened up a U.S. office for uh, outsourcing launch ground services, and uh, the, that, those type of services I would imagine would be with their big dish that they have, they're one of the big dishes there, and they're going to outsource, uh, you know, for telemetry and, and uh, other data that uh, that occur during launches. So Leaf Space out of Italy looking to expand their horizons. And something that has been occurring more and more, and I talk about less and less, because it does occur more and more, uh, SpaceX launched another Starlink internet satellite squad. <laughs> 60 Starlink satellites were launched early this morning, launched successfully. And they did provide video and shared that with everyone, as they always do. And the media ate it up. They love it. More and more Starlink satellites going up in orbit you know it's been uh other companies still have their eyes on doing something similar to what SpaceX is doing with their starlinks as i've talked about uh in numerous past podcasts but so far uh SpaceX has been the king of internet satellites as far as i can see so 60 more starlink satellites up in the sky it interesting i'm a diff- i'm on the west coast now and um doing my space gab podcast from the West Coast, and the location I'm at, I can see a lot more st- of the sky, a lot more stars, much darker in this area than when I was in Colorado, and uh, I can see quite a bit. The other night, I actually uh, just went out, stepped outside, and looked up in the sky, and I saw an orbiting object, and I said, huh, I wonder what that is, so I went to one of my applications and looked, and that it was the ISS, real clear, so um, I'm wondering if uh, I'll be able to see these uh, what they call the Starlink satellite trains once they've been deployed. You know, they stay together for a, a period of time, and as they they go across the sky, it's kind of cool seeing people share photos of these Starlink satellite trains as as the, as the satellites are still relatively close to each other as they orbit above, and uh, hopefully with with the lighting here, which I can see a lot more at nighttime of stars and orbiting objects and things. I'm hoping that one of these nights I'll be able to see one of these Starlink uh, internet uh, satellite trains go over before it's, uh, you know, they, they separate too much. So I'll let you know if I see it. And speaking of SpaceX Starlinks, I guess uh, SpaceX has agreed to maneuver any of its Starlink satellites that come close to the International Space Station or other NASA spacecraft in low Earth orbit as part of an agreement between the agency and the company. So they're going to be providing some kind of a maneuverability for their Starlinks to prevent them from impacting with the International Space Station. And I know I did read a little bit about uh, some other agreements that were being made as far as uh, light, night light, uh mitigation, where they're going to try to, you know, I think they were in the past, I talked about they were going to be trying to coat There's Starlinks with some kind of a a coating that wouldn't reflect as much because a lot of, because there's so many Starlink satellites going up in orbit, a lot of uh, Earth-bound astronomers were complaining that they, you know, they'll take photographs, their solar photographs and astral photographs, and and here they have all these uh, blurs in the photograph, these streaks, these streaking orbits, which when you, leave a, a lens open for a long time to capture, you know, a galaxy or whatever, the, the low light levels and try to get, you know, a good picture of low light levels and things like this, a galaxy far away. Uh, the Starlink satellites and other orbiting objects will cause a, uh, a streak, a line through your, your photograph. And, and I could only imagine when these Starlinks go through, there's a lot of lines, you know, constant. So, especially when the trains are still together, so I guess SpaceX also was talking about mitigation of their of their lighting their reflective reflected ability of their satellites so maybe it's an additional addition to what they already discussed uh, a long time ago. maybe it hasn't happened yet but but now they're talking about maneuvering away from the i s s you know uh with you know a powered maneuver of some type to change their orbit a little bit. If if it does get near the ISS, so uh, that's interesting. And Space News is reporting that uh, let's see, Representative Mike Rogers of Alabama, the top Republican on the House Armed Services Committee, said that the Space Force is making progress in the organization of its acquisition office. And expects to see new proposals to accelerate acquisition programs. The acquisition office. So, as they they grow with this Space Force, this new uh, branch of the government, Space Force, they'll have to be you know turning on different program offices for this organization, and they're talking on about uh, the acquisition office for this one, where they actually get to acquire uh, items, assets, and they'll you know they'll put contracts out for bid and things like this. They'll ask for proposals from companies and uh, all this. So Space Force will have a robust acquisition office, it appears. On March 22nd, Rocket Lab had deployed five CubeSats for a number of organizations. And uh, Rocket Lab has got the Electron rocket. And I guess all went well with their launch. Also happening, the SpaceX Starship SN11 has fired up three engines ahead of a test flight. Pending good test data, it looks like they're preparing now for a uh, their next launch, their next test launch of a Starship rocket. And SN11 is up next so we'll see what happens with that uh hopefully this one will be successful you know the the previous launches looked you know the launches were successful and and i guess everything pretty much appeared to occur as it was supposed to uh but just the landings the landings you know just were not what they what they had planned uh except the fi- the last one that happened 10 um it did land but it was kind of i think one of the landing legs uh, didn't deploy properly and the rocket was leaning and then tipped over uh after a fire occurred with some leaking fuel i would imagine uh, i talked about that yes and uh so sn11 they're hoping for a lot better success with launch flight and landing so uh they're right now i th- i don't think there's actually a scheduled time for a actual test flight for SN11, oh, Starship SN11, uh, the, the closures, the road closures keep, uh, being placed and residents are being warned and then all of a sudden there's a, you know, the closures are, uh, cancelled. So I haven't looked at anything about it today, uh, but I do know that the static firing did go, uh, and they did cover it on a, quite a few of the li- the streaming, uh, live streams. That a lot of these, uh, companies and hobbyists and fans are uh, producing and putting on YouTube. So we'll just have to wait and see. And uh, SN11, let's, uh, let's hope that uh, Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX Starship SN11 is successful all the way around. Well, the same day that Rocket Lab Electron uh, launched put six satellites into orbit and SpaceX's Starship SN11 provided a successful static fire test. Russia confirmed that uh, one of their frigate upper stages of a Soyuz rocket placed 38 satellites into orbit. A successful mission, they say. So launch is going up all around the world. And speaking of space debris, once again, there's a, uh, I believe it's went up. It's either planning to go up or already did go up. Uh, Astroscale, a company, they're going to be placing a satellite uh, to test out some new technology to try to clean up space junk uh, using magnets. I guess uh, maybe one of their satellites will be employing um, magnets as part of its payload to try to clean up uh, space junk, so I guess they're going to be doing some kind of a test. Probably release some kind of a uh, satellite from a satellite that they have, and see if they're they can capture it again with a magnet. But that's um, that's this company called Astroscale. So I'll check that article out a little bit more, and uh, maybe report on it in, in the future because that's kind of interesting. I know some companies were talking about helping to clean up space debris with you know tethers. Or, uh, nets, or making, make it out of objects that are less, you know, they're, they're more susceptible to break it up easier. And, and hey, we were even talking about 3D printed, uh, rockets and satellites in the future, but this one is, you know, magnet technology to clean up space debris. That'd be kind of interesting to see how, how this one pans out. And again, speaking of space debris, a polar orbiting weather satellite decommissioned nearly eight years ago broke up, adding to the growing debris population in a key orbit. So as I said, these, you know, satellites every once in a while break up. And this was, this one was a pretty good sized satellite, a weather satellite, you know, with quite a few, uh, devices on the thing, big old solar arrays and, antennas and different things. So, when something like this breaks up, it's going to cause a lot of debris. So, you've got the story about this satellite breaking up. you got the story about the uh, company going to be trying to capture orbiting debris with magnets. And you're going to need a lot of magnets for capturing a satellite like, like this size that it broke up. And then we're talking about the space catalog also in a previous story. And so, they're going to be, some of these objects are going to be happening to, be added to the space catalog of orbiting space debris because I'm guessing that some of these objects from this polar orbiting uh, weather satellite are pretty good size. So we'll just have to, uh, yeah, this is going to be a big one. Earlier I talked about the uh, hot fire test that was done with the Artemis uh, core stage, the SLS hot fire test. Well, I wonder the radar. Weather radars, uh, actually from the satellite from space actually saw the test being done. You could actually see in the, the, the little gif that they provided, uh, at NASA SLS shared that you could actually see the plume of the hot fire test from space. So if you want to go check out the Twitter feed, you can uh, see that graphic and actually see the plume from the weather satellite as it uh, orbited overhead. I guess President Joe Biden nominated uh, former Senator Bill Nelson as the possible next administrator of NASA, and that nomination won widespread support from both members of Congress and the broader space community. So we'll just have to wait and see if uh, former Senator Bill Nelson is going to be the new NASA administrator. And the Soyuz spacecraft, one of the Soyuz spacecrafts that is attached, uh, docked with the International Space Station was taken for a spin. Well, what they did is they just, uh, undocked and went to a different, uh, port. Uh, they're preparing for, uh, they're clearing the way for new crew members who are scheduled to launch the space station on April 9th. So they, they jockeyed the, uh, Soyuz spacecrafts a little bit, uh, to, to open up some other docking ports that they need for upcoming uh, launches. And the Air Force Research Laboratory's Space Vehicles Directorate announced plans to open a new facility later this year focused on space environment research. And that's it. Until next time. (laughs) It's (laughs) It's great, Dr. George.